Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. My name is Mel. I'm Janet. And I'm Domi. I remember this moment clearly. It was 2018. Jan and I were in the movie theaters about to watch The Incredibles 2. Yes, two grown adult women watching a kid's movie. All of a sudden, Bao came onto the screen. By the end of it, the two of us were drenched in tears, feeling all types of emotions, feeling seen as Asian Americans in this dark theater. Today, we get to meet the incredible woman who created this piece and so many others that have moved the emotions of people all over the world. Domi Shi is a Chinese-Canadian animator, storyboard artist, and director. She's contributed to films like Inside Out, Incredibles 2, and Toy Story 4. She also directed the short Bao, which won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film, making her the first woman of color to win such an award. This year, her most recent work, Turning Red, is set to release, which is also Domi's directorial debut feature film for Pixar. Domi, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. Do you mind sharing with our listeners, you know, where did you grow up? What was your family dynamic like? And what was young Domi like? Um, so I grew up in Toronto, Canada. My parents immigrated from China when I was two years old. And uh, yeah, I think ever since I was little, I, I've always loved drawing. Um, my dad is a painter and he was an art professor back in China. So um, I just grew up playing in a studio surrounded by the smell of paints and other fumes. But uh, <laughs> I've always just loved drawing as just a way to to connect with people, to come up with stories, just to like express myself. Um, Cause I was always such a shy kid. Uh, I was also, an, I'm also an only child. So that was just mm. the way that I entertained myself too. I, I would just plop myself in front of the TV and just draw with the TV in the background. And my parents, I feel lucky in that they've always supported my creativity, but they were still like, okay, if you want to be an artist and you better practice every day. Mm-hmm. And I think like part of them uh, growing up still maybe wanted me to go into like a more, you know, academic, like, quote unquote, like traditional or st- sustainable career. But um, I just knew that like, I just wanted to draw somehow for a living. At some point, I was like, maybe I could like, 
marry our two career goals together and I could be like a medical illustrator so like oh, it's like yeah. half, halfway I was like meeting them halfway yeah but then yeah, I yeah. got like I got too scared because I was opening these books and there'd be like these like gory or like I had to draw like organs and <laughs> and like muscles and tissue and veins and I got really skewed out I was like no 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 I can't do this <laughs> oh my gosh that's not the same yeah that's that is so interesting, though, that you went through that journey of thinking of different ways to be able to still do that craft, but then maybe in a different uh, different industry or setting. Yeah, it was uh, me trying to have my cake and eat it, too. But then yeah. I discovered animation, uh, mm. like in high school, and I was able to convince my parents that it was a more stable career, like as an artist because I was like look look like employees at Disney get like 401ks and healthcare and all yeah. that stuff and they're like oh okay well maybe <laughs> wow so you you did that digging in high school and you started to understand what like what the lifestyle would be around a career in this yeah because my dad like struggled so much as like mm-hmm. an artist um I mean now he's he's been able to find success as a painter but like he was just hustling ever since we immigrated to Canada you know he went from being an art professor to like uh like back to being a student he had to take like random jobs like painting ceramics in a factory to like selling portraits on the streets of New York City (laughs) and now now he's like a like like a landscape painter and, and, and he's in galleries and stuff but it took him a really long time to establish himself and he didn't want me to go through that similar struggle but then I'm like, but then you shouldn't have taught me how to draw. I love drawing and painting. <laughs> right? so it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he passed on the passion for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it's like you're confusing me, Dad. <laughs> why, why take me to a museum and show me paintings and say, don't do that? But isn't yeah. this cool? <laughs> Wow. So, I mean, that that is a very unique experience, though, to grow up to see Mm -hmm. your father kind of go through that career experience. And so you develop this art and this passion for it, but you also, from a very young age, were thinking of practical ways to be able to make a living off of this. Yeah. All immigrant kids have to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I strong, yeah, I believe that a lot of our listeners can definitely relate to that type of thinking. Um, And it's an interesting way to, you know, like, to talk about pursuing your passion, but to do it in a planned way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you share with us that in high school, you've discovered there's this thing called animation and there are companies like Disney that you can work for. What was the process like when you started then pursuing that? Because we know that, um, you know, uh, you did land like a three-month internship with Pixar, but before that, it seemed like you had gone through and applied multiple times to Pixar, Disney, and DreamWorks, and then were actually turned down before you then got the internship, and then eventually worked from there to becoming the first Asian female director. So that's like quite a trajectory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you share with our listeners like what that journey was like? For sure. Um, Yeah, that's so crazy the way you put it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. um, So I uh, did research and I found this really uh, like – you know, a acclaimed animation school that wasn't too far away from Toronto at Sheridan College. Um, mm. I applied for it, but I, that required a portfolio. And I just remember, like, my dad and me, like, working on my portfolio <laughs> for, like, months and months leading up to the portfolio day where I like, came in and I had to submit it. And uh, he's kind of been, like, my, my, my coach <laughs> the whole time through that like I got into the the animation 
program. And Mm -hmm. uh, in third year, we apply for internships. And um, I knew I wanted to go into storyboarding at that point. Like I wanted to specialize in in, in storyboarding. And I had uh, applied to like multiple places. I applied to Pixar and I got like shortlisted uh but I didn't make the final cut and I was like so devastated uh because it was like you know it's that feeling of like that 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 FOMO feeling Mm. it was like the summer of my third year where like so many of my friends Mm -hmm. and classmates were doing really cool internships like in America or like at really cool studios in downtown Toronto and then I with like some of my other classmates were just stuck at school (laughs) because we we couldn't find internships (laughs) and I just remember like that summer I like vowed I was like I'm just gonna do whatever it takes to get an internship and I'm 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 gonna apply again I'm not gonna give up so I kind of used Mm -hmm. that summer as like this this fuel to kind of like go super hard into my fourth year and I went so hard I like I I like pulled like multiple like consecutive all-nighters at the studio I applied to Disney feature animations internship DreamWorks and Pixar and I remember too I was too crazy at some point I I was like looking at my portfolio and I was like this isn't good enough I'm gonna start all over from scratch oh (laughs) wow gosh and then I and then I I was crazy I was in my crazy 20s I like pulled two all-nighters in a row and I redid my entire portfolio and then this was back oh in the gosh. day when they like forced you to like mail your portfolio. Oh my like, gosh. In, like, you know, like uh, in person. So I had to, and then I ran to the post office and I was like, I don't care how much money it costs. Send this <laughs> to California <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> I paid like a hundred dollars or something for shipping. I didn't care. And I was like, okay, it's done. And then I ran back to my, uh, my room and then I just started working on my eight page philosophy paper. <laughs> Because I wasn't, I still had more work because I had electives to do. And then oh, finally, after all that was done, I like collapsed. And then, and then I got in. And then I got a B oh, on that God. essay, which I'm very proud of. Wow. <laughs> Yo, on philosophy, that's pretty good. Because I know. Hard, that's hard to like, uh, you know, process and understand. After multiple all-nighters too. Dang. Maybe I was like <laughs> tapping into something. Because you know when you're mm. sleep deprived and you're like. You're just in the zone, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I'm seeing things right now. This is great. <laughs> dang that's that's insane that was crazy that was oh crazy. my god but you know like like I kind of used that that fuel of rejection from the previous year to kind of try to drive yeah me, yeah you know yeah. I think there's also like some I don't know about you guys but like that yeah like that feeling too of like maybe because I'm the kid of like Asian parents as well of like mm-hmm. it's now or never too mm-hmm. like I don't mm-hmm. get you don't get like another shot or I don't know. I, I just had this feeling that I wouldn't get another shot unless I like really, really tried this time. Like, mm. I don't know, like my parents didn't have a ton of money. I couldn't do something like a gap year or like, yeah. you know, find myself in like a uh, liberal arts college or something. Yeah. I didn't have that luxury. Like I had to like, I had to get it and mm. there was n- no other option for me. So I, I just kind of like tapped into something, I think at the time. <laughs> wow, that's yeah, I mean I think that that is an incredible way to use like, you know, a setback 
is to have it be a real strong motivation. And I think your perspective that you speak to is very true. It's like if you've grown up watching your parents kind of like struggle and mm-hmm. still you're persistently pursuing this passion, like you just innately feel like there's a lot riding on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And de- I mean, and then you you did it and you performed <laughs> and you got it and you eventually made it to be the first Asian female director, which is amazing and so, so inspiring. Yeah, I can understand and relate to like, I think sometimes you have these moments of like, this is now or never. And like, if I don't do this, my life could turn out a whole different way. Hmm. Like that, that feeling, I think it's really crazy too. But I'm happy you, you know, I mean, pulling all nighters back to back. I mean, I personally couldn't do it in college, but I think it's great that you did because then, you know, now that you, I feel like you've worked on so many great projects that have affected so many people around the world. And I'm just curious, like, I feel like I know a lot of like other Asian women that, may have like been sketching or drawing as a hobby but I don't know that many that actually turned into a career um I'm just curious as to you know for you how you know how do you think being an Asian woman has influenced your experience in this industry yeah it's interesting because like when I started the anim- like animation school I think it was kind of a like a trend like the animation industry was going was start just starting this transition because mm-hmm. like enrollment in animation school I think now is it's more girls than boys but but like decades and decades ago it was definitely more male dominated um Mm. but as I worked like I feel like as I went through school and rose up through the industry I I started seeing less and less women and people Mm. that looked like me um but when you're in, in, in animation school like I was lucky in that I you know found this group of Asian girls that were like me like we were all nerdy and really into anime and manga um, and we loved like just like drawing and sending each other drawings and stuff so I kind of found my little squad mm-hmm. really early on and then going through Pixar I also like was lucky in that in the internship I met Rosanna Sullivan who is now a director at Pixar as well she directed Kitbull which is like a spark short um, that came out a couple years ago and now she's in development for a feature but we kind of came up through story together as like two female oh, uh, no. uh, nerdy, again, nerdy <laughs> female, female artists. Uh, you know, I, I just think like I always try to find like like any situation I'm plopped in, I, I try to find like people that I can connect with because mm. um, it's just, I think that's so important mm-hmm. and that I think that was one of the most important like um, factors in in my career and my development was being able to find um, like a support system yeah, of, like a community, of colleagues. Right? Exactly. A community. Cause like you need someone to like bounce ideas off of, but also to like vent to, but also to do gut checks of like, mm-hmm. Hey, did, did that meeting like, was that weird? Or is that just me? And you're, you're like, you know, your other person could be like, no, 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 like, you're not crazy. That was a weird meeting. Or like, Mm-mm. you are crazy. Back off a little bit. <laughs> kind of weird right now. So that was huge for me, I think. And, uh, and also made me feel like I wasn't alone, too. Cause mm. there, because there are so few women and women of color in leadership positions, you know, still like in, in the animation industry, but at least I had like a buddy or two to kind of cut, like come up with and struggle with. That was huge. And that made the Mm -hmm. journey like more fun and and Mm -hmm. not as, as lonely. Yeah. 
I'm happy you're able to find your group and people there. I think, yeah, I feel like a lot of people, they struggle with feeling alone whenever they're doing. So I'm happy you found that group because it's just like letting people know like you're not alone this experience. You have someone to depend on. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I do want to switch it over to talk about your work. I have to say, like, Bao honestly had both Jan and I crying in the theaters. We did not expect that whatsoever. Mm. We came we came in as like two grown adult women watching The Incredibles, and then Bao came on, and I was like, I, after it was done, I looked over her. I was like, what the what the what the heck? <laughs> like, I just it's like you didn't ex- expect this experience when you walked in the theaters. And for us as Asian American people, we really resonate with Bao. It was like. For me, it was the first of its kind to showcase the Asian-American, Asian-Canadian experience in such an intimate and nuanced way. And now, you know, you're, you create a Turning Red. And what inspired you to create Turning Red? You know, from the trailer, I definitely saw a bit of Toronto. So I can see inklings of maybe your possible Canadian upbringing there. But love to, sh- love to hear more about, like, what inspired you to create Turning Red? Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, it was like after making Bao, uh... I realized like, oh man, I still have a lot more to unpack with my relationship with my mom, Mm. (laughs) like Mm. an entire feature film's worth of juicy stuff. And Mm -hmm. um, in, so in Bao, this, that relationship is explored more from the parent's point of view. And I was really interested in kind of exploring that relationship in a feature film from the kid's point of view. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cause I don't think that has been 
done as much before. And I also was just really passionate about telling a coming of age girl story that Mm. was something that I wanted, like like, that I would have loved to see when I was May's age, like when I was 13 and going through the, you know, the motions of, of puberty, of like dealing with growing up kind of caught between two worlds of Mm -hmm. like Eastern and Western cultures and values. And also like my body is changing and scary and scary and, and what is going on. And, uh, you know, I really just wanted to make this movie for those girls, those, those, Mm -hmm. those, those kids that are dealing with that, you know? Yeah. No, that that makes total sense. And you're right. I didn't think about that, that a lot of these pieces that represent um, like Asian cultural upbringing, it is a lot of it has come from the parents perspective. And Mm -hmm. um, seeing that that the opportunity to explore it from the child's perspective is is very fresh and very new. Um, And we can see that that's like the backbone of the storyline for Turning Red. But how much of the storyline really is based on your personal experience? Like, for example, we know that May, you know, her her character, she's this very, like, dutiful daughter and kind of has, like, these perfectionist qualities, which I think maybe a lot of, um, mm-hmm. you know, Asian uh, brought-up children might be able to relate to. Um, but would you say, like, May is very much written after your personal experience? Or, yeah, just curious, like, how much of the storyline was personal versus inspired or, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's definitely... Um, inspired by my own personal life growing up I think she she kind of when the movie first starts she kind of represents that time in my life and I think a lot of kids lives where you're really close with your parents like before puberty before you start kind of becoming your own person and liking Mm -hmm. music and things that your parents wouldn't approve of and um and the story is kind of about how she has to figure out how to be a good daughter and become an independent person. And Mm. are those two things completely separate and, and, Mm. and unable to, to exist together. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was important for us to tell this nuanced story of a, of like, not of a girl who's like oppressed by her militant mom and who wants to break free from the beginning. That feels like more of a Western kind of story. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. for May, she really, truly, loves her mom and loves spending time with her and loves her family and loves taking care of the temple with her. But at the same time is like, like slowly and naturally, you know, growing up and being drawn to four town, mm-hmm. to her friends, to the world of the red panda. And, and just, you know, just this whole new world that is like pulling her away from, from her mom and, and, and her, her, her home life. And uh, she genuinely does like you know loves those two sides but she can't Mm. figure out how to balance it and I think that's Mm. what a lot of uh, Asian immigrant kids have to have to deal with because Mm. they do want to make their parents proud they do want to be a good kid but at the same time they want you know they're like living in the west and they they have all of these other hopes and dreams too so they're just trying to figure out how to balance that and then you know you know eventually may learn that it's always going to be a kind of rocky and it's always going to be a struggle yeah <laughs> it never <Yeah>. ends <laughs> i feel real quick i think when you're describing that kind of like straddling both expectations for even or needs for yourself and your parents i really just resonate with that real quickly because i even though i'm not you know a middle schooler anymore I think even in my adult life I think a lot of people could resonate even though growing up as an Asian family it's like with careers especially like the whole um 
I need to do what my parents worked so hard to immigrate here to build this lifestyle that I should support them, the filial piety. But it's saying like, what do you have? What happens if you have your own desires and wants in the world? Like, how do you even figure that out? So I think in some way is that even this is a coming of age story. This is also a story of transitions or someone who an older could also resonate with that, with that similar storyline too. So I was like, whoa, when you're describing that, I was like, I resonate as a 31 year old <laughs> yeah. person. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah. I have to ask too. When I was seeing Four Town, I was like, is this O Town? <laughs> Legally, no. No, um, Illegally, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're uh they're inspired by like all of all the boy bands of that era mm-hmm. of, of O Town, of Backstreet Boys, of uh NSYNC. But their their name kind of came from a joke of like, what if they're called Four Town, but there's five of them and we don't really explain why. <laughs> And then also like uh, just as more of like an inside kind of tidbit, like my thinking was, oh, like four is like a very unlucky number in the mm. Chinese language. Mm-hmm. I think in, 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 in other Asian languages too. And I thought like, wouldn't that be kind of like another reason why the mom would not approve uh. of, of these boys? It's like, oh my gosh, like why, well, why does my daughter have like a bunch of fours like on her face? And her <laughs> that's true, that's true. <laughs> I have a follow-up question about May. Um, so yeah. you've shared like all these interesting ways that she was inspired from your direct experience. Are there aspects of her in the movie that were that you couldn't really relate to, that were kind of coming from outside of inspiration? Oh, that I couldn't. Well, I was definitely not as like bombastic and confident mm. as as her. Mm. Uh, and when we wrote her, we really wanted her to feel like from the very beginning, like from the moment the movie starts that you fall in love with her and, and, and of her, like you fall in love with her dorky spirit or like confidence in her un- unapologetic, like, like I'm a mama's girl and, and, I'm, and I'm nerdy. I don't care. You know, that was like so charming and, and cute mm-hmm. and like who I wanted to be when I was that age. I think I was definitely a little bit more, uh, you know, insecure and, and mm-hmm. um, more, more introverted, but you know, I, I, there's lots of parts of her that I, I can't relate to. I had a secret sketchbook under my bed <laughs> that I don't know. It's like somewhere in my house. I think my cousin got rid of it. It was so funny. It was like, uh, oh. I was in, I was in college and it's like one of those moments where you like wake up in the middle of the night and you're, and I was like, my secret sketchbook, <laughs> my secret sketchbook from high school. And then I like texted my cousin who was like staying with my parents at the time and I was like there's something under the mattress that I want you to get rid of (laughs) and then she texted me back like 10 minutes later like I took care of it and then I never saw it again but I don't know what she did with it I hope she threw it away (laughs) maybe she she, do you know if she she even read it um I didn't mind if she did Mm because like she was like my age we both like the same types of nerdy anime stuff and but but I told her like don't look at it just throw just just get rid of it and she's like I will and I trust I, I trust her I trust yeah her. <laughs> that's but so it's cute fine. it's fine if she saw it it's, it's fine as long as my parents didn't see it that's all I cared about <laughs> yeah yeah for sure <laughs> so seeing the trailer and like I feel this is the first time we're seeing kind of like a coming of age puberty puberty story within the Pixar world or from what I remember I will also say though I I really appreciate the little like touches you added to the film like I don't know if I could share this much but there's definitely like growing up you know in a in an Asian household like even like the food from the the, even Mm -hmm. the little scenes you see like the like 
the kitchen, the living room, or even like the Chinese dramas. I was like, yo, this is, I was like, how are you capturing this so like perfectly in this film? <laughs> yeah, that was like one of my favorite scenes uh, in the movie is is that that, that scene in the beginning um, at home mm-hmm. when you see her and her mom making dumplings and watching a Cantonese soap opera and her dad's mm-hmm. cooking in the kitchen. It's just kind of ripped from from my life. And I just wanted to show like audiences this like little slice of life kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Of, like this was a typical night for for me, you know. My dad cooked just as much as my mom at home. And the only Chinese thing we could watch on TV at the time was the local Cantonese station that would like show Cantonese soap operas Mm -hmm. from like a year or two ago (laughs) and that's how my mom learned Cantonese too because we're not like our family's not Cantonese but she Mm -hmm. kind of picked up on it through watching the soap operas and it was really fun because when we were making it the soap opera we were working with Disney Hong Kong and they actually got like some actors from TVB which is like Oh my god! This Hong Kong, like that—that that was the production company that made all of those Cantonese soap operas, and I think we got some of the actors to like be voice in it. the yeah to oh voice it. So that was really fun. I was like, oh my god, that's so fun! You're what so a throwback! <laughs> that must have been so wonderful for your mom to um, to know that it was that authentically made. <laughs> yeah well she hasn't seen the movie yet but when oh. she watches it she'll be like oh my gosh this is like the tv shows we'd watch <laughs> yeah oh my gosh well I mean talking about turning red and the storyline behind it of this you know coming of age uh, of May you know going through her change I know that hopefully it's not too much of a surprise for our listeners even if you haven't seen it but she turns into a red panda and that's such a beautiful um, metaphor to kind of play up and wondering what was the thinking behind choosing a red panda or were there other animals or even her changing into an animal at all like what was that whole concept concepting process like yeah well I knew it was gonna be a you know a movie about magical puberty and um I've always loved red pandas just in general because I think they're so cute and underrated mm. Mm. <laughs> in, in media and uh, I, don't know, I was just brainstorming and I was like, wouldn't it be funny if this girl who thinks she has her life together just transformed into this big, chubby, furry, bumbly, red creature who <laughs> every time yeah. she like gets worked up and emotional, it's like the Incredible Hulk, but cuter. Mm. And it's just something about the red color too. I feel like red is the color of puberty, especially for mm. girls. Yeah. It's like, it, it brings to mind like your period, but also like emotions, like anger, like mm. embarrassment. It's such a, like a perfect color um, yeah. to represent puberty. I knew I wanted to do a, like, I wanted to come up with our own kind of mythology because there's a lot of creatures in Chinese mythology right. that we could have pulled from. But I, you know, I, I just thought like, wouldn't it be fun and cool to kind of come up with our own kind of original Mm-hmm. mystical creature and come up with like a whole backstory so like once you watch the whole movie you'll kind of like learn about the origins of of, of the red panda uh, and like why this happened to her family and all that stuff yeah and and the red panda is you know like it's it's native to china too so yeah it just visually it's just so cute and perfect for the metaphor so that's why we picked it oh my yeah. gosh when i saw the trailer i was like i, I was like my friend's like oh my god so cute. I was like trying I was kind of like freaking out I'm like dude I want this stuffed animal yeah, yeah. 
very adorable character (laughs) i know like this the selfish part of me was also like like what would be the coolest toy (laughs) or the cutest toy (laughs) i was thinking of that already as i was thinking of the story (laughs) no but that is so perfect that i mean for all the reasons that you said it wasn't just one Mm -hmm. it was all of these reasons um and and you're right like i reflect back on the stories that i grew up with and in chinese culture there is a lot of they use they use mythology and animals are very much um you know very common in the storyline so there's that beautiful like line of continuity through that mm-hmm. and then the color and then yes and you know you're creating something for Pixar and it needs to really hit people in a way where they want a part of this you know so to turn the story um, and to engage uh, a red panda is a genius way to do that There are two pieces of jewelry I never take off. One is from my grandma, and the other is this beautiful anklet from Orate. Personally, I love the look of anklets. It's classy yet sexy at the same time. I knew I found the right one when I laid my eyes on Orate's mini gold bar anklet. Orate is a fine jewelry brand founded by a woman for women. Pieces range from classic to statement to completely original. Orate makes the jewelry you've always wanted but could never find. Besides loving the look of my midi gold bar inklet, I truly appreciate the quality of it and of course the compliments. Because it's all real gold, you can wear it and never have to take it off. It's with me when I shower, dance, sleep, cook, anything. It's jewelry for life. Also, all Orate pieces come with a lifetime warranty because they know it lasts. For 20% off your first Orate purchase, go to oratenewyork.com abg. That's A-U-R-A-T-E newyork.com and use promo code ABG. That's 20% off with no minimum spend, and they rarely have discounts as high as 20% off, so I really encourage you to shop now what's going on. This is the best offer out there and exclusively for my listeners, so once again, go to oratenewyork.com slash ABG and use promo code ABG to get 20% off. As we round out kind of thinking about turning red, you know, you've gone through, we've talked about the beginning of you being a young child and, you know, first having this interest in, in drawing and kind of seeing your father go through this career. And then now you're, you know, so you've accomplished so much. Um, and I'm sure you have so much more ahead of you to accomplish. When you think about your career, what kind of uh, director or animator do you want to be remembered for? And that might be a big question. <laughs> but when you think just kind of like, yeah, like pulling back, like what, what do you... What is the legacy that you hope to leave behind? Oh, man, that is a good question. The legacy I hope to leave behind is uh, just stories that, that, that celebrate my background, but also show global audiences that universal stories don't have to look one way, which, mm, that's um, beautiful. yeah, that, that's my hope. That, that's my hope with Bao. As my hope with this movie too, like we put so much specificity into it, but I truly believe that everybody can can relate to these stories. Cause like, I feel like if I can identify with like, like Harry Potter or like Pride and Prejudice or like mm-hmm. all of these like Western stories with characters that don't look like me, like I love those stories growing up that I feel like the opposite can totally be true too. Mm-hmm. And that it's about time that it is yeah thank you so much for sharing domi um and i guess just to follow off that what's one piece of advice you've been given that you always go back to 
one piece of advice I really always go back to is um, trust your gut. And when you feel lost in whatever you're working on, uh, try to go back to the very beginning when you started this journey or this idea or this project and mm. remember what got you initially excited about it. Mm. Um, because you can go, you, you can start something. It could be a movie, a script, a, a pr- any kind of project and you'll have that excitement, but then the more you work on it and the more notes you get on it or the more mm. you iterate on it, you kind of like, it's, it, it deviates so much from where it started. And then you don't even remember why you even like got into it. So I think it's always important just to kind of look back and try to remember that initial excitement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that'll be your kind of North star as you kind of navigate through whatever you're doing. Cause like sp- specifically for our movie too, like there'd be times like we'd have so many different, ver- like we've gone through so many different versions of the movie. And then Julia Cho, our screenwriter would be like, well, like let's just go back and read the very first draft <laughs> of mm. the movie and see what's there mm. uh and I'd be like no I don't want it but then I would like look back and be like oh yeah like, I, I remember this joke or, I remember the excitement and the reason why I, I wanted to tell this story so I think it's good to like yeah always look back and remember why you're excited about something when you're mm. working on it I really appreciate that piece of advice I think for Mel and myself too you know this is I'm like shaking my head or nodding yes and um, you know running a podcast like a lot of what we do is content creation so we definitely can understand that you know when you are creating something oftentimes it begins so beautifully motivated and then it can anything can start to feel like there's effort and there's work and I think that's helpful a message to all of our listeners who are creators of any sort to always go back to the beginning and remember why you started so thank you. I'm going to take that with me into this week. Mm -hmm. And the last question I will ask you to wrap up today's interview um, is where can our listeners find you to support you on your future projects? Oh, um, I I have a very limited social media presence. (laughs) I have an Instagram, Dotomishi, D-O-M-E-E-S-H-I. Yeah, just hit me up on Instagram. (laughs) Sometimes I post doodles. Sometimes I post like journal musings sometimes yeah I'll, I'll post sketches but yeah at domi she perfect awesome well thank you so much domi for you know joining us on this conversation we are super excited to watch turning red i'm sure our listeners will also join on the excitement make sure you catch turning red on disney plus on march 11th if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash asianbossgirl slash support, or get some merch at asianbossgirl.myshopify.com. If you resonated with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. And if you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube, where we share vlogs, an audience Q&A segment called Dear ABG, and much more. Our handle on both platforms is at asianbossgirl. If you'd like to send a shout out to a friend, check out our link tree in our link in bio and click on shout outs. And last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episodes, including this one. And with that, we'll catch you all in the next episode. Bye! Bye.